You're listening to the Nerd to Know Media Network. Join us at nerdtoknowmedia.com. Welcome to the Metal Dialogues. Alright everybody, welcome to the second edition of the Metal Dialogues. Thank you for joining us. Um, I have with me someone who I've been friends with for quite some time, but I've never actually spoken to in real life for issues, for matter, for you know, situations as they were. But um, it's my pleasure to have on this week's show, promoter, uh, metal guitarist, PhD student, uh, extraordinaire, Dan Tregena. Dan, welcome, sir. Hi, welcome. Uh, <laughs> hey man, it's weird. Like I've known you for like two years uh, or longer, and we've never actually spoken. Yeah, um, I think that was first time was around the time I booked you guys to play with the Infernal Sea in Plymouth. Yes, when our uh, our drummer got attacked and couldn't play drums. <laughs> we've had the worst luck as a band ever. Like we say so sometimes, and it's like, yeah, there's there's no way that's that's real, and it's like, no, nope, it's probably real. That was around the yeah. That was around the time I, I, we've we have a lot of bad looks with drummers and bass players, but it seemed to have leveled out now. But poor Jay, he, he used to do more interviews explaining what happened. But uh, I think that's around the time he got attacked coming out of work and he couldn't play drums for a while. He's okay now though. I'll find back for that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, it was it was a serious thing. I remember he like he called us and he was like, "Hey, um, I've just been attacked," and we're like, "What?" And he goes, "Yeah, yeah. The police found me." Uh, and put me on the bus home, and we're like, they did what? They didn't take you home? And his mom found him in a pool of blood uh, in his bed. And uh, he was in hospital, and he was like, yeah, I can't play um, I can't play drums. He had a, a blood on the brain or whatever, and it was just like, Jesus. So that kind of put everything we were doing in a, on hold for a while. But, uh, you know, hopefully after COVID, um, we'll be able to go over and, and play with you guys soon. But... um. Yeah, man, we've had some serious luck. And funny enough, actually, we still haven't played England yet for a number of reasons. And last time was this time last year, when literally as we were getting ready to leave, COVID lockdown happened. <laughs> it's fun. It's fun. We, we, we bring the luck. But we're hoping after COVID that that will change. But um, anyway, it is my pleasure to have you on the show, man. Um, it's cool to... Uh, we have the, the rigorous debates on Facebook that I do find entertaining. Um, <laughs> I love the way when you bring me into people, you know, people who are like, who's this guy? And you're like, oh yeah, this is Dara. He's a, he's a libertarian. I'm like, oh, okay. You know, it's fun. <laughs> I like the little intro I get. It's entertaining. But um, yeah, look, I wanted to have you on the show um, because the, the Metal Dialogues is an, is an interesting like concept show where like there's so many people, there's so many different metal podcasts around. But, you know, they're always trying to focus on, oh, who are you booking, who is going on, rather than just the people behind it or what they're into. So that's kind of why I wanted to have you on the show. But I guess we'd be remiss to uh, give yourself a bit of an introduction to people who have, you know, obviously never heard of either what you've been involved with or the promotion company you run or like that. So the floor is yours, sir. Uh, okay. Well, uh, my name's Dan Trigena. I was born in East Cornwall, uh, part of a Celtic family down here. Um, 
I currently run Nitis Promotions, which is, and the name comes from the Cornish word for ceremonies. Um, mostly I book a lot of black metal. I try not to specialize in that, but I think I've done about 20 black metal shows out of 25 at this point. So it's kind of inevitable that I'll do more. Um, I'm also a PhD candidate for the University of Plymouth studying sound engineering uh, undergraduate level in both the United Kingdom and Finland. Um, I have also previously played in the black metal band Dystopian Wrath. But mm. That was several years ago now. Yeah, it, it's um, it's weird because it's a, it's a very similar background to myself. In a, you know, I think it's what we have so much in common as well. But like, what specifically drew you to um? to the whole black metal thing like what how did you get involved in it and what what kind of what i guess what was the push point to moving away from a band to being a promoter oh okay um i'm not really too sure what got me into it it was sort of a bit of a natural progression when i was about 14 13 i think it was i got very into a lot of the 80s um hard rock bands like guns and roses and um, gradually moved up to Metallica and Slayer, then on to In Flames, and then at some point I found Emperor. <laughs> and from Emperor, it kind of um, spiraled into more and more unlistenable music. Um, at least as my parents would describe it. Fair. Um, as for moving from being a musician to a promoter, um, that's not quite as clear cut, but I think I was already sort of, so when I was a musician, I was also a live sound engineer at the same time. And I got quite involved with the music industry outside of my own band. My own band, not really, um, we weren't at the same level of the shows that I was working on. So mm. I, uh, I worked with bands like Marduk, Belfagor, uh, Vader, Steve Harris, British Lion, um, Exodus. So when I left the band, it was kind of more of a natural sort of step to still want to um, be involved in some capacity. And I've made quite a lot of friends and contacts through my time playing the band. So it's um, it quite natural to just sort of move into another another way of being connected to that. Mm. and you, you have actually you are kind of like the name when it comes to you know Plymouth shows as I said you know when we were booked to play with the Infernal Seal we were like this is great and then what happened happened <laughs> so it was kind of like you know the bands that you do book are awesome you know <coughs> even before COVID you had a bunch of shows lined up and you know how has that whole thing hit you now are you guys kind of um, like obviously nothing's going on but um, is there any kind of clarity of what's going on there or are you just kind of waiting for stuff to open up again? Um, it's kind of awkward with the UK because we have a government that not only doesn't listen to the, the scientific advice, but pretends the scientific advice is the opposite of what it actually is. Mm. So tentatively, everything will reopen in the UK on June 21st. Right. I have my... First show back in August, 
at the moment that looks pretty safe. That's uh, Repulsive Vision, a death metal band from Lancaster. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, I know them well. <clears throat> yeah. Um, at the moment, that doesn't need to be moved. I've also got a festival in September, Solemnitis, which, again, at the moment looks safe, but they may or may not need to be moved. As for how it's how COVID hit, um, it wasn't too bad for me because I've been using sea tickets for about five years now. Mm. Um, the way C works is that people buy tickets and you can only get the money from ticket sales after the event has taken place. Right. And I base my income off of the promoting. So it was relatively straightforward to just postpone and then postpone again when I've needed to. Okay. Well, that's good to hear, man. You know, it's the, the COVID thing pretty much wiped out everything here in Ireland for the most part. Um, and we, our government also doesn't listen to science, but it has a, a medical group that doesn't listen to anybody except their own thing. So I, we do empathize. <laughs> you know, World, World Health Organization, don't use lockdowns. Here's all the lockdowns. Okay. Well, are they going to be over? We don't know. Okay. <laughs> so that's kind of where we are, man. I do feel you. Um, but look, you know, fair play for keep going. Um, it's one of the things that you know it's very admirable to be able to just you know keep booking these shows. You know, as someone who who books the shows for the band, um, like ourselves, gone gone off. Uh, it was mainly me for a long time. I can't imagine the stress of that. So fair play, anyone who runs promotions. I'm like, fair play, man. That's that's that. Hats off because it's just like you know it's hard enough trying to wrangle the lads. Sometimes I can only imagine what's like trying to wrangle you know, three or four bands or bigger bands or something like that, you know, fair play. It's, um, it does kind of depend on the, uh, uh, the band you're working with. So mm. some of the smaller ones, it is very, <clears throat> it is very much a matter of chasing cats. Yeah. Um, but as a general rule, sort of more of the bands that I'm working with these days, it's, there's, there's more of a, um, an understanding. So a lot of my local bands I work with, they know me quite well. They know what I expect. Mm. Um, I know what they expect. So it's, we've got some good working relationships there. Um, they don't agree to anything we can't do. I don't agree to give them anything I can't give. Right. Um, That's fair. The bigger bands, you know, they're already at a point where they've kind of worked out how to work with each other. So it's, it's been a little bit simpler uh, since then. For instance, my, festival in september i have 18 bands on the bill and i just had to postpone it um uh last year and you know i was expecting that to be a lot more hassle than it was but uh, due to the professionalism of all the acts that i'm working with it's been pretty simple mm. well, that's good to hear that's good to hear you know hopefully uh you know when stuff does start back up and everything's safe and that it'll be you know i think things will be relatively back to normal in some way that's kind of the hope that we have you know but um, that is just one side of what you do. And obviously there is, you know, oh, actually, before we move on, do you miss playing? Like, do you miss being a musician? Do you miss being on stage? Um, to be honest, I've never really got that high from playing uh, live that a lot of people talk about, you know. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah I mean, I've never had an issue playing live, but. To be honest, it, it never felt much different to being in a practice room in front of some of the other members' girlfriends or something. Interesting. Um, 
were you were you writing the material or were you just playing the guitar? Um, so a lot of the material that we were um, touring with was written by uh, the other guitarist. Yeah, that's, uh, prob- that's probably it. Yeah, that would do it. All right, I'll be honest with you. We were working on some other songs, which I'd had a higher degree of creative involved, but um, mm. it's because I joined after. Um, so they were a free piece originally before I joined. Mm. And they were were a six piece and then a five piece for about three years. Right. Um, so yeah, it kind of depends on like which era of the band, but because I came in later than the uh, original three. Right. Uh, what I was playing was stuff that they'd already put out. Yeah, yeah, I, no, I do understand that. Um, that's I've been there actually myself, so I know what you mean. Eventually, you look forward to the food afterwards rather than the gig itself, and that's when you know you're like, I'm in the wrong band. <laughs> you know, when, when there's no creativity and there's no, you're just kind of like, yeah, we need to play these shows, okay. And yeah, then I mean, it's different. Yeah, I get it. <clears throat> there are some aspects I do miss. I mean. Um, I did enjoy going to practices every week. I did enjoy working with the other guys on new music. I mm-hmm. really enjoyed seeing, like, kind of taking the band and then seeing what shows we could do next. You know, what we could uh, what we could take it on to. Mm. Uh, and that's largely what I've transferred over to Nitus. It's been very um, going from that to like setting myself milestones and then hitting them and then setting something else beyond that. Absolutely. So, Absolutely, yeah. No, that makes sense. It makes sense that the the organizational structure of it was there, but the actual, you know, doing it because you're, you know, you're trying to send a message or you're trying to get these songs out or you've all kind of created this thing together. Um, they are different feelings, you know. That makes a lot of sense. I think anyone who's been in a band um, at a certain level, you know, when you're playing shows in front of whatever people or whatever, it, 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 and you've done it for quite some time, if it's not, if you don't have that feeling where you're like, "Whoa, this is something special," don't do it. There's no point, you know, because um, it's just it'll, it won't fill that that gap, you know. But the that, the business side of it is quite good, and it's actually funny. Uh, the the business side of how I run the band currently is actually from my past experiences, because as you said, there was no creativity. It was like these are our milestones, this is how to organize this, this is how to put on merch, just said, so yeah, well, man, I didn't know, I didn't know that, but it's, uh, it's crazy that, that you've had that experience exactly the same as me. Well, that's wild. So, that's wild. you should probably point out, I did enjoy the, the creative aspects as mm. well. Um, and in terms of, like, the overall message, I mean, um, the band's name was Dystopian Wrath, so it's mm. very much based around sort of 1984, V for Vendetta, um, a lot of that sort of dystopian fiction. And in all honesty, I mean, I'm coming from a very left-wing, liberal uh, perspective. So Mm. discussing that in the climate of having possibly the most right-wing British prime minister in about 100 years, Mm. um, you know, it it very much did gel with my own political leanings. So there was Mm. definitely a message there as well. But um, the aspects I took the most enjoyment out of uh, basically empire building. Interesting. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That makes sense. No, uh, you know, obviously, you know, you, there is that point when you, when you do enjoy it. But what I mean is like, if you don't have the, the overall kind of, if that clicking isn't there, it can kind of be, 
you can kind of get get jaded, I think, or burnt out. You know, like at that point, I one of my own bands I was in was an industrial band that was pretty much the same kind of thing. Um, and I really enjoyed playing with them, but I burned myself out. So I was kind of like, okay, <laughs> you know, you're in three bands at this point. It's got to kind of click off at one point, you know. But uh, yeah, it, it's funny. Do you think the world we're living in now, when you look back at some of the music that you've either put out or you listen to and you're like, yeah. <laughs> I didn't think this would actually happen. I just thought this would be something that we wouldn't have to deal with in our time, you know, but it's it's here. You know, it's it really is just kind of prevalent. It's got worse and worse and worse. Yeah, I mean it was um it was the right band for the sort of um uh the setting that the country here is in. Um mm-hmm. it's also kind of a bit of a a misunderstanding, I think, by a lot of wider culture here in the UK that uh, the metal scene is like a haven for racism. Oh, uh, well. I'm not saying that that aspect doesn't exist, but by and large, the UK metal scene is extremely left-wing. Yeah, look, I've... I I don't know if you listened to the last show with uh, Jeremy, but, you know, the, there are elements, I suppose, that are there historically. And there would be elements that would still raise up. But, you know, I'm kind of familiar with the UK scene not that much I know a lot of people in it but in Ireland as well like we've seen this cool thing where it's like it's not like that anymore you know the bro gig keep the bro gatekeeping isn't there anymore for the most part and if it is there it doesn't last very long because we were like yeah we haven't got time for this yeah it's um it's <clears throat> in many ways it's been very um very progressive even compared to wider society at least here in the UK. Really? Um, yeah, I mean, we've elected in a Tory government, obviously, mm. who stood on policies of conservatism. Right. Um, but conservatives don't really seem to have much of a voice within the UK's metal scene. It's, it's not really where uh, the bulk of even the music industry in general in the UK is kind of, it's not where it really bases itself. Yeah, no, that's fair. You know, and I do think historically as well, um, culture itself itself would be more kind of like left leaning. Like I, I myself, I'm a libertarian, and the rest of the guys in the band are as well. But I would be, you know, culturally left um, because it's like, yeah, you know, just don't be a dick, <laughs> don't be a dick, and and don't hurt people, right? So that's where I kind of come from, you know. But uh, that makes sense, you know. I I don't really know how much support you'd get, you know, b- being a crypto fascist or something like that. It's like really. You're, you're an asshole dude you know? <laughs> that's kind of the thing i think most people would be of that opinion you know um so it doesn't shock me you know i i, I wouldn't imagine you get very far in in a in, in a modern metal scene running on that platform you know i just i don't see the appeal of it you know and it's it's funny that you mentioned marduk uh a band who would who would uh you know write about world war ii and then they're calling them whatever and it's like lads come on like you know or well, like, what, what do you think about that kind of stuff? Um, oh, from the sort of limited interactions I ever had with Marduk, I wouldn't like to speculate either way, but um, some good friends have had a similar issue. They used to play in a band called Eastern Front here in the UK. Right. Um, and as you can probably guess from the name. They, so, you know, I, I wouldn't like to comment one way or the other, but um, when it comes to some of the other bands that have that sort of... Um, 
the, the accusation when they've written about history for that being some kind of indicator of their political beliefs. Mm. Uh, this isn't really something that's new. I mean, Moat had had it, Slayer had it. Yeah. Um, a lot of the time, it's it's kind of a complicated issue, um, but a lot of these bands do go out of their way to sort of highlight that you know this is art based around some of the worst things that ever happened in human uh, human history. Yeah, and look, it it makes sense, right? It's like you know, with metal, it's going to be the darkest parts of humanity, and particularly we're talking about it. But you know, with Slayer, it made even less sense. It's like Oh, okay, yeah, there's some white nationalists and the guys, you know, <laughs> you know, fronted by Tom, Tom Araya. It's like, come on, like, you know, use your brain. It's, it's wild, but with Marduk, it was even crazier because it was, like, super aggressive. You know, I've never really seen it that aggressive. And look, in my experience, I don't know, when you're in the black metal scene, you run into these interesting folk, that's what that way. Um, <laughs> and the Nazis will, full, will tell you, hey, you know, they're super proud of it. I've never encountered one that isn't proud of it you know it's like okay i want to go away here you know it's it, it's it's a weird um it's a weird dichotomy you know oh yeah um of course one of the better aspects of scene is that it, it usually regulates itself yes absolutely capacity. yeah so if the absolutely. bank has a reputation for having nazi leanings uh over about a year they're going to find it's harder and harder to find any useful contacts in the scene, any bands who are prepared to play with them, any promoters prepared to book them. So, Look, the thing about it is, it's like, um, you know, with us, we're like, like as a band, we're like, why are you looking into failed early 20th century, 19th century ideals? You know, have you not come past it? And then we throw lock at them and go, here you go, read lock. <laughs> And it's just, you know, it's that kind of thing, you know. Um, but again, it, it falls into the whole, like, I just don't understand the whole excluding or hating people for no reason. You know, it doesn't make any sense to me. Um, and, you know, I just don't get it, man. I just don't understand it's it. It's very hard to sort of exist like that here in the UK, at least. Um, it's hard to see like that in the modern world. Like, you know, particularly when you have the internet, you're like, you get to see people as they are. And if you choose people, if you choose to see people for what, they have no control over or uh, some inbuilt prejudice. It's like, you're never going to get very far, you know? And I just don't understand it. You know, particularly, particularly making music around it. It's like, do you really think other people are going to go along with this? No way. No way. I mean, here in the UK, it's, um, I can name maybe only about half a dozen bands who have, um, a full lineup of members who would fit the sort of ideal of someone who, holds those sorts of beliefs you know there's a lot of lgbt musicians here there's a yeah. lot of foreign musicians here and there's a lot of musicians here of um black or minority ethnic so look you know I, I, as far as someone who i don't know how you came to metal initially but someone who came to metal as a you know a bully teenager you're like really okay you're gonna you're gonna bully other people now Okay. Yeah, it makes no sense. I just don't understand it. You know, metal for me was always one of the things where I was like, this is something that provides solace and stuff like that. You know, we were able to take comfort in it. And what's cool about playing in the band is some people have been like, hey, look, this music really helps me or whatever. I'm like, all right, you know, that's that's awesome, you know. And to make music 
for no other reason than to hate on a particular group. It's it's crazy, you know. It's like all I'd say is look, good luck, but uh, you know, no yeah. one's gonna put up with that, right? But anyway, um, so look, another reason why I wanted to to get you on the show here is because like you know we had Jeremy on who we talked about a lot of similar things that we've discussed on there, obviously from an American standpoint. So like, you know, it seems like this all across the board, we're still battling this, this ideal, right? This, this kind of cultural change. Um, but again, not many people I know are, you know, who are metalheads are also, you know, going on to, you know, doing postgrads or whatever in in history or like that. A lot of techies. Now, I will have to say, there's a lot of metalhead techies. A lot, of them. but you're doing a PhD. Yes. So, what's that experience like? It seems like you know yourself, myself. We seem to love college forever, <laughs> which I, you know, anyone listening, I wouldn't recommend it. It's fun, but it's expensive. Um, but yeah, like let's talk about that, man. How like is it a case of you just love college because that's me? I been in college forever. Or is it your you want you have a specific goal you want to or how did this kind of come about? And what are you researching, actually? <laughs> okay, um, so my studies in something called democratic education. Um, the the principle of uh, a system of education where the students have more uh, agency, more control over their own experience of learning. So. Uh, stuff like negotiated uh, tasks and how those tasks will be marked. Um, yeah, various aspects that kind of, because a lot of traditional education here is very top down. Mm. So it's kind of an uh, attempt to make it more bottom up. Right. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's based in democratic education, but it's a comparison between the UK's undergraduates. So, um, yeah, just undergrad degrees, um, compared with their counterparts in Finland, right. um, which is, you know, th- there's quite distinct differences in the uh, systems of education here and there based on what those education systems are built for. So in the UK, education is kind of a, um, a product. So it's something you can get, something you buy, uh, you're a customer, you buy your degree, you do your degree, you get it. Um, and then you want a refund. <laughs> uh, the state gets it back eventually. Yeah, eventually, yeah. But um, yeah, so that's kind of how education is here. It's very much a product. Um, okay. But Finland is a bit different because education's role in society there is literally for their society. So they they have the view that education should be about creating people to enter into a society who uphold the values of that society. So, um, so the, the, the I suppose the obvious question there, because it, it's it's kind of like the UK and the Irish system is very similar. Yeah. Um, obviously, like it just is. Um, but it, there's no kind of regulation as such with the with the system. It's like, hey, like for me in particular, um, you know. It's like, hey, what do I do after school? Go to college, okay. To do well, whatever, okay. And this was during the Celtic Tiger, so it's like, I'll oh, just get a job. You'll you'll be fine. Obviously, that didn't happen, but um, you know, now it's kind of a thing where it's like, hey, you need to do these certain things. But even still, no one's going to step in and go, do this, do this, do this. It's more like, do whatever you want, just pay us. And are you saying in Finland, it's more kind of like, 
you don't have to pay us, but it has to serve a purpose, or is that how does it work? Um, so it's it's generally based around so uh, within education, you kind of have what's called the curriculum, which mm. most parents will tell you means the things that you learn, but that's the syllabus. The syllabus is a part of the curriculum, but it's not the entirety of it. Mm. Also nestled in with that is teaching techniques, which are called pedagogy, yeah. and the values that you kind of want your students to come away learning. Mm. And Finland has a, an approach that those values are the things that are the most important. Um, but the students, obviously, they, they sign up to the courses they like, and they do those courses. It's just that those courses sort of preparing them to enter into Finnish society afterwards first. And that's the framework within which they learn. So they, so it's basically creating citizens rather than workers or selling or customers. Yes, absolutely. Okay. That's interesting. Like it's, you know, for, for me, um, you know, I've, moved around colleges a little bit and it's just like i've never really got that experience from anywhere you know like uh you got to learn some cool things and stuff like that but you're never really kind of what is irish society we don't know okay <laughs> you know and it's just it's that kind of thing so that that's interesting in the sense that this is like uh preparing to kind of fit into that kind of uh finished model a follow-on i suppose would be um so if the, is it a required thing like because obviously college isn't required in Ireland or England or anything like that. But um, is it required in Finland? Is it something that they're like, hey, we want you to do this? Uh, no, this this doctrine sort of extends throughout their entire education system. So. Oh, I see. So from age five to, you know, 22. Um, I think they start at age six or seven. Well, wow. okay. Um, okay. Ironically, the UK, who start at age four, is the earliest start in Europe. And I believe you guys are a year behind us, but again, you're still about a year before most of the rest of Europe. Yeah, no, it makes sense. It makes sense. Like the, I have a lot of teacher uh, friends who are teachers and, you know, you know, that kind of stuff. And the Irish education system is very, very broken um, in a lot of ways. Um, fundamentally, like I, even to get into college is a ridiculous system that makes no sense, particularly when college isn't free. You know, when college is free. It's like, okay, that's what we're competing for. But if you're not competing, it's like, well, why? You know, what's this What's this for? Like, I don't know if, I know you guys have your A-levels, but I don't know if it works the same way. But a lot of people who have went to the Irish education system will tell you they still have nightmares about the Leaving Cert, you know, doing the Leaving Cert again because it's so like, trauma-based. You know, it's just like, here, learn these things and your whole life depends on it. And, uh, and then it just doesn't, you know? But they don't set you up for anything. You know, I think, uh, yeah, it's a very interesting topic, man. It really is. It's, um, and that explains why you're going to Finland to obviously go in and study there for a while or kind of compare. Yeah. So, um, I should sort of point out this is within, uh, the undergraduate course there. Okay. Um, based on sound engineering, which right. I was teaching that at Deep Blue Sound for the last two years, which is a local university here in Plymouth. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it, it's very much going to be based on a doctrine that I'm involved with uh, personally as both an industry practitioner and as a lecturer. That's really cool. That is really cool. And w w like, obviously, how has COVID uh, impacted this? Obviously, you can't go to Finland, which sucks. Yeah. <laughs> but like, how has it impacted 
college, you know, as someone who is doing a PhD there? Um, it's kind of been a bit of a wrecking ball, frankly. Mm. Um, so obviously there's my own Plymouth University where I'm based out and there are sort of hurdles I have to pass here to get the study done. That took loads of time because COVID meant that all of the departments are running on skeleton crews. Um, and, you know, I had a backlog. I think my ethics approval came uh, to about four months. And all it needed was literally just for me to write one extra word. So it's like, <laughs> yeah, you can imagine how much fun that was. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's fun. Then, of course, Finland's having their issues. They're not even in a position where they can uh, take part in the study yet. So I'm right. waiting for them to um, get back on their feet, really. Um, how are they doing as well for, you know I know how Sweden are doing and they're like can we do it back to open or something like that and it's kind of controversial but how are Finland doing um, Finland's doing pretty well overall when the first country started doing lockdowns Finland jumped right in there um, right. as a result the R rate never really got very high there which means that their death toll has been really low well fair play uh, yeah, so, you know, they were very quick to lock down. They're not going to open up again anytime soon, I don't think. Okay, so they're not, they're just, they're following their own thing in Sweden or doing their own thing, so it's not like there's a unified... Oh, God, no. Um, Sweden, Finland, Norway, Denmark, they've all got extremely different um, political uh, systems. Mm. I mean, they're all part of what's called the Nordic model, but yeah, um, the thing about the UK, uh, sorry, the UK, the EU the European countries is that... It's difficult, isn't it? <laughs> Go on, sorry. Um, the thing about a lot of the European nations is that you can kind of um, see how the political systems are built based on the Marshall Plan. So yeah. the countries that had the most investment from the United States in the Marshall Plan have higher levels of neoliberal ideation. Mm. Um and the UK, I mean, the UK is the best example of a lot, I think, for that, because we are uh, fully down that road of neoliberalism now in that for about 40 years. Um, we're at the point now where economy is sort of judged up against lives. Yeah. Um, a nation that, like Finland never subscribed to the, the Marshall Plan still has a, um, a, a culture which is not influenced as much by neoliberalism, but uh, that's where Scandinavia gets a bit weird because like Norway is a little bit closer to us. Mm. The Danes are quite a lot closer to us as well. The Swedes are a little bit different, but not quite as much. And the Finns, I mean, when the Cold War came along, they deliberately, uh, they became basically a Northern Switzerland. Um, you know, they're right on the border with Russia. Um, they don't want to annoy them, so they kind of kept the distance from both sides. It's interesting, um, though, because, like, I wasn't aware of that, but Ireland took the same approach, but then it didn't because we're so close to England, <laughs> a colony of England for so long, and then a, you know, a colony of America, American culture. So it's like, we're neutral, but we're not. You know, culturally, we're, we're a mix of the two. And then our own kind of thing above it. It's, what, it's a really... I wasn't aware of that. That's actually a really interesting kind of um, uh, comparison there, like Finland during the Cold War and then Ireland during the Cold War, which 
it wasn't it wasn't neutral even though it was <laughs> it's just like oh yeah 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 we don't support either but we love america and oh yeah sure look the english aren't they grand bunch lads you know it's like okay that's that's not, that's not being uh that's not being um that's not being neutral you know yeah. uh that's crazy but yeah so like i suppose like how long have you got left is it um is it on its way to being finished or do you have to throw in a couple of uh under a year or two um so i'm currently at about halfway point i just did the rdc two milestone which is um literally just the halfway point just confirming that i'm um on the phd route mm. so i'm currently doing data analysis or data collection before data analysis um all of that's coming from the uk so far because as i mentioned um uh, Finland are still getting back on their feet. They're not quite in a position where they can take part in the study yet. Well, but look, hopefully they'll be able to uh, to get back at it. You know, I know our schools are, you know, open, but not uh, the colleges are still on, still still online. So, um, you know, hopefully they'll be able to get back. Now they're saying what summer things might be back to normal twenty twenty two. Hopefully, fingers crossed. But um, yeah, man, that's really interesting. Uh, I'll uh, I'll definitely be keeping an eye on your social media posts to kind of <laughs> keep an eye and see how you're getting on. But um, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show, dude. This has been a great conversation. I've, uh, I've really enjoyed it and you're welcome on anytime. Cheers. Um, if the people want to touch base with you, want to see what's going on um, with what you're putting out or want to just, you know, follow you on socials, where can they do that? Um, so for the promotions stuff, that's all at Nitis Promotions. Um, I do mostly work in Plymouth with that, but I have got shows in Manchester and London uh, confirmed for next year. So, um, in terms of the PhD stuff, um, probably better to just email me. Um, I've sent you my email address already, so you could provide a link, I guess. I will do. I'll drop it all in the description of the show. Cool. And, uh, yeah, I just want to say, just uh, sorry, go for it, go for it. Uh, no, no, I didn't. I was, yeah. <laughs> was going to say, you know, just saying, Horrenda have never played the UK, so just just putting it out there. <laughs> 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 but uh, no, man, thanks so much for coming on the show, and uh, you're welcome anytime. I really do appreciate it. All right, guys, thanks so much for uh, checking this edition of the Metal Dialogues. Again, I don't know how often these are going to be, um, if something pops up that I want to talk about or if uh, some guests want to come on that's cool too the rest of the crowd might have something so no commitment uh, the best way to stay in contact uh, if you do like this stuff is go over to nerdtonomedia.com like right now it's all there all the shows we do up on nerdtonomedia.com also on YouTube uh, iTunes, Spotify, all that good stuff so if you like what we do here if you like the show and want to check out more even just for another one of these shows go over Check out all the social media, subscribe to the podcast, and, you know, email me, nerdtonomedia at gmail.com, what you want to talk about, what you think about this show, there's any metal topics you want me to talk about, um, or even any of the guys, you know, we're all, like, there's a lot of us who are metalheads uh, in Nerdtonomedia, so, um, yeah, excited to see how this goes forward, but again, I want to, say, I want to uh, thank you guys for checking this out, the Metal Dialogues. Thank you for listening to a Nerd to Know Media production. 